0: Welcome to Econa Day Unplugged. It is Tuesday, October 31st, 2017, and it is Halloween. I am Ann Picker Economist, Chief Econiday's Chief Economist, and with me today are Mark Pender in the US and Jeremy Hawkins in London. This week, we have a trifecta of central bank meetings. Already, the Bank of Japan has announced its policy decision. Namely, nothing's changed. The BOJ's short-term policy rate for excess reserves remains at minus 0.1%, while the target level for long-term 10-year yields remains around 0%. For now, the BOJ continues to believe that purchasing these bonds at an annual rate of 80 trillion yen is consistent with meeting this target. The bank again reaffirmed its commitment to expanding the monetary base until the annual increase in the consumer price index, that's their core rate, which excludes only fresh food exceeds the inflation target of 2% and stays above that level, quote, in a stable manner. The bank also published last night the updated growth and inflation forecasts, the economy is projected to expand moderately, with the median forecast for GDP, real GDP revised from 1.8% to 1.9% for the fiscal year that began April 1st, 2017. It left unchanged, however, at 1.4% for the fiscal year that begins on April 1st, 2018. The nat- bank now expects inflation in the near term to be weaker than previously anticipated. It sounds familiar, actually. Um, it mainly reflects the impact of lower mobile phone charges. On the year, the change in consumer price index, again, excluding fresh food, is now forecast to be a 0.8% increase in the current fiscal year, down from 1.1% previously. Uh, That's the story from Japan. Jeremy, moving right along.
1: Moving right along, you know, the story over here then is um, from last <laughs> Thursday, the ECB's widely anticipated monetary policy recalibration. Well, that pretty well fell in the middle of what we're talking about last week and as much as the tapering of their monthly asset purchases was uh, $30 billion Um, So that takes the actual purchases on average down to 30 billion a month. And that's going to run through from January of next year until at least September. In other words, that's going to imply net new quantitative easing of at least 270 billion, which I guess was a a little bit more than the market was anticipating. And that's one reason for looking at last week's um, announcement as being a touch on the dovish side at least as important though no, and certainly what, not certainly something that a lot of people weren't anticipating was there was no fixed completion date for the programme in 2018 and crucially too uh, there's been no change to the forward guidance in other words rates are still expected to stay low for this extended period of time and indeed past the end of the quantitative easing process so in other words it implies there's going to be no change in official rates from the ECB until what the fourth quarter of 2018 at the earliest. And indeed, it might well be beyond that. So overall, I think we can say that um, what happened last Thursday was on the loose side or the more calmest side of market expectations. And that's been reflected in the, you know, the lower value we've had of the euro, not just against the dollar, but on most of the, the other major European crosses and indeed, to some extent, the yen as well. Um, overall, I think as far as ECB itself is going to be concerned, then look at things quite happily. What they must have been concerned about would have been, you know, the first indication that quantitative easing is beginning to be tempered, um, tapered, could could have led to a bounce in the euro. And that's something they desperately wanted to avoid with underlying inflation still, though. And indeed, they got away with it in terms of the asset markets, the bond market took it far and the equity market as well. So, so far, so good, I think, as far as the ECB is concerned. Now, in terms of the numbers, it's been really more the same as sort of good news and bad news. I mean, the good news we had earlier on today with the preliminary flash GDP report for the eurozone for the third quarter, that came slightly stronger than expected, 0.6% on a quarter-on-quarter basis. So 2.4% annualised to put it into US terms. And indeed, the second quarter was revised up a tick as well. So that's a pretty healthy growth rate historically for the eurozone. However, and it is a big however, The flash October inflation data showed annual inflation down to 1.4% from 1.5%, and that's a three-month low. And ominously, the core core inflation rates, the two measures they come at are released in the flash index. They were both down 0.2 percentage points, which means the narrowest measure, which financial markets tend to concentrate upon, that's at just 0.9% now. And that's its lowest reading since March. So I guess it kind of justifies ECB, ECB's, view, ECB's view that they need to retain the of policy. Um, but certainly it's going to add to this uncertainty about the breakdown between inflation and the real economy. Um, looking ahead to other central banks, as you mentioned, it's going to be the Bank of England on Thursday. A couple or so weeks ago, that looked to be a done deal in as much as I think everyone's anticipating a 25 basis point hike, which would put bank rate at 0.5%. And that would be the first tightening in more than a decade over here. Now in light of some slightly iffy numbers over last week or so, it's not a done deal. But I think financial markets on the whole have largely discounted that we will see 25 basis point hike. If we see that, there may be a little bit more upside left to the pound. But certainly if we don't see it, and bear in mind that we've had uh, both the deputy governors of the Bank of England intimating over the last week or two that they don't think rates should go up. If we weren't to see an interest rate hike, then we'll probably see the pound come off quite sharply. One thing to bear in mind, that unlike the likes of the um, ECB and the Federal Reserve, the bank won't do anything with quantitative easing, at least under its current policy prescription, until we see bank rate much closer to the 2% mark. So if we are going to see any kind of tightening, it will come purely out of interest rates. I'll just quickly round off with Spain since obviously that's an ongoing issue at the moment. As people are probably aware, um, we saw the Madrid government on Saturday sacking Catalonia's ministers and imposing direct rule over Catalonia. And the pub- prosecutor yesterday accusing entire former Catalan government, of rebellion and sedition and various other uses. Um, and it now looks as if the next key focus for markets is going to be September. Sorry, December the 21st. That's when the plan is to hold regional elections in Catalan and the Madrid government be hoping then that the separatists pro-independence parties will lose their majority and we start moving back to where we were. But at the moment, there's still a great deal of uncertainty about exactly what's going to happen
2: out there.
0: Thank you, Jeremy. Moving on to the last of the trifecta, yeah, Mark.
2: The on the Fed. Fed. I have one quick question for Jeremy. Jeremy, and that is the effect of Catalan on the euro um, is it a contributing cause to the uh, euro's uh, weakness? And um, if uh, the um, if the elections go the way of Madrid, would that uh, be a possible plus for the euro?
1: I think the answer to that is yes and yes. I mean, it's got to be said, I think you know, the, the ECB result last Thursday was definitely a euro negative. That said, the euro was already starting to come down just on the back of developments um, in Catalonia. So I think the politics of Catalonia and the sudden realisation that it was possible that um, Catalonia might actually succeed from the rest of Spain, you know, certainly raise real concerns about the rest of the European Union as a whole. So to that end, if, as you say, if these December Elections do actually remove that risk, that would most definitely be a euro plus.
2: Well, uh, turning now to the Fed, uh, well, fortunately, politics are not really playing uh, much of a factor here in what looks to be an upcoming announcement on Thursday. That's the reports that the administration's going to, Trump's going to name uh the replacement but uh or rename a uh, yellen but if you look at uh really all the candidates it's um probably going to be uh business as usual uh and uh so that probably won't be a big event and neither will um tomorrow's fomc statement i think that what we might see there in contrast to what uh and and jeremy were talking about with lack of inflation pressures in japan and europe uh, core inflation here is still low, but we're getting signals now on wages. We had it just this morning on uh, Tuesday. Uh, we had the employment cost index, and it's running at the highest levels of the expansion, and this is a very important indicator for Federal Reserve uh, Policy makers they uh, they're looking for signs of uh, any of the first signs of wage inflation and and this has already been heated up for the last uh, several quarters and now with the unemployment rate of 4.2 percent well you know below their long their prior long term forecasts for full employment we could definitely be seeing a, a flashpoint here um, and uh, also we can uh, go back to the. Average hourly earnings in July and uh, September were both at, uh, again, expansion highs, 0.5% monthly there. and so I, I think that uh, wage inflation has been, uh, and inflation in general, has been downplayed in the FOMC communications. However, I think that we may see a little bit of a hint here, which would be a hawkish uh, spin for this meeting, uh, which will uh, be followed in December, where a rate hike uh, is the uh, wide uh, expectation. Um, Again, it's uh, because of a lack of uh, available workers, and we saw very interestingly, by the way, in today's report, Tuesday's report on Chicago uh, PMI, their employment index actually went down, but it wasn't because the uh, sample didn't want to hire, they couldn't find uh, candidates to hire, and there was also evidence in that report that um, some of the sample uh, was losing uh, staff to other employers uh, as uh, they were being um, uh, uh, taken away by higher wages so these are early reports but I think that's what the fed is in the business to watch and uh, so I think we could get a little bit of a uh, a bias a a um, hawkish bias to today's report also uh, another interesting thing in that uh, in the consumer Con Confidence report also was released today, and it was very strong, a 17-year high. Income expectations are very high, and stock market expectations are very bullish in in, in the latest readings. And also auto buying plans were very strong in October. And tomorrow we get unit auto sales, which is a very important, very early indicator on any month's consumer spending. And based on this, we could get another strong reading. Remember, September was super outsized growth based on hurricane replacement demand. And maybe that replacement demand isn't quite over. So, and we had the week before, to continue with the economic news, we had a very solid uh, GDP report 3%. Uh, followed a 3.1% in the second quarter. Um, And so there is uh, hints, uh, and we've definitely been seeing it in the anecdotal reports of overheating. And if this is going to be tied to the labor market, this has to be a a, a top concern for the Fed. So the U.S. is is a little bit hotter, definitely a little bit hotter than other parts of the globe.
0: Thank you, Mark. Um, We'll find out who the new chairman will be and other information and we'll speak to you again next week.